And now, it's Health Naturally with herbalist and natural therapist, Dennis Stewart. Dennis Stewart for Health Naturally today. Let's think back to a few weeks ago when you talked about coffee and the mm. benefits that um, it might give in perhaps resisting dementia and Alzheimer's. Mm. Lots of people have been interested in this topic and there's been some controversy as well. There has indeed, Jane. There was a lot of interest shown in the program and uh, evidenced by people contacting me. And there's been one or two queries about what I said regarding coffee and caffeine, whether or not it is as good as what I said and is it good for everyone. I'd like to just touch on that again today to reiterate some of the things that I said a couple of weeks ago, defending the sensible use of coffee and pointing out the rare occasions where it might be contraindicated. And Dennis Stewart, coffee. We're thinking about coffee. Well, look, we, we will be thinking about it and hopefully thinking about it more after I say what I have to say again on this topic. A few weeks ago, I mentioned that research was uh, developing, which was suggesting, in fact, more than suggesting, but claiming that a regular daily moderate use of coffee and genuine coffee, not decaffeinated coffee, but genuine coffee with a content of caffeine in it has been shown to be very, very useful for lessening the onset of dementia and maybe even potentially useful in stopping the drift to Alzheimer's disease. Now, uh, this is not just anecdotal. I mentioned uh, on the program a couple of weeks ago that uh, scientists at two American universities. One was the University of South Florida and the other one was the University of Miami. They carried out a monitoring process on what was called memory and thinking processes of 124 people aged between 56 and 88, testing their blood caffeine levels and their cognitive ability over two to four years. The conclusion was that caffeine levels among those who developed dementia were 51% lower than those who did not. Lead researcher and neuroscientist at the University of South Florida said we firmly believe that moderate coffee consumption can appreciably reduce your risk of Alzheimer's or delay its onset. Very conclusive findings. Uh, it went on to say that um, the findings reveal people over 65 with higher blood caffeine levels avoided the onset of Alzheimer's up to two to four years after the end of the study. And one of the scientists said these intriguing results suggest that older adults with mild memory impairment who drink moderate levels of coffee, and we say, well, what are the moderate levels? They're stipulated. About three cups a day will not convert to Alzheimer's disease, or at least will experience a substantial delay before converting to Alzheimer's. What the scientists were saying, and the findings arising from their research work, their monitoring work, pretty important research and monitoring, was that a regular, daily, perhaps even medicinal intake of coffee, three cups a day, may, in fact they are a bit more confident than just saying may, 
could significantly reduce the onset of dementia and lessen the drift towards Alzheimer's disease. Three cups of coffee a day? We're not talking here, Jane, about uh, coffee addiction. I happen to have worked in the public service many years ago uh, and, like many other public servants of that era, uh, was bored out of my uh, mind and, like many public servants, when they put in the coffee machines, there was a steady, regular train of public servants all throughout the day topping up these terrible plastic cups with this soupy coffee. I'm not talking about this sort of addiction to coffee. I'm talking about an enjoyable three cups a day experience of high quality coffee with a good level of caffeine in it and if you're anyone like me, it'll always be double shot. <laughs> and I would like like to think that that has done me some good as far as my memory is concerned. Look, quite seriously, quite seriously, the evidence is emerging that coffee is a medicinal substance. Like everything, it can be abused. It's a remarkable herbal brew. Coffee is based on kaffir beans, which is a herb. And when we have a cup of coffee... Regardless of how it's made or the technique, uh, whether you're a barrister or just an ordinary person making a cup of coffee, at the end of the day, you're making a herbal tea or a herbal brew. It's medicinal and it's an enjoyable medicinal substance. But up to this point, not many people have known that they could be contributing significantly to their health and to the lessening of the possibility of contracting these wretched syndromes that are in our community now, the emergence of dementia and the drift towards Alzheimer's. Now, just a couple mm. of questions mm. there. I mean, first of all, a comment. We're, we're not a mm. cafe society for nothing then. That's correct. <laughs> Could be correct. some benefits. Correct. And secondly, if you have a double shot of coffee, yes. wouldn't that count as two cups? Well, it's a good point. A lot depends upon your body build, Jane. <laughs> That's a fair answer too. Now, you've had some problems recovering from ovarian cancer and cystitis and you're asking about natural therapies, Gail. That's right? Yes. Hello, Gail. That's correct. Hello, Dennis. Sorry. Tell me, Gail, what's been happening? Oh, gee... Well, I won't uh, keep you on the line with all that's been happening good. with me, but um, yeah, just I had an ovarian cancer yes, operation yes, 12 months ago. Yes. Um, got ureteric stents in place yeah. and um, been in and out of hospital with uh, cystitis type oh, okay. um, symptoms and just wondered if there was anything natural mm. to follow up on the what the urologist and doctor say. Look, um, I believe very, very strongly that um, chronic cystitis or recurring cystitis can be sometimes, I should say more than that, frequently uh, helped by an approach that I have used for, for nearly 40 years. Uh, the first thing is to take on board that there is a remarkable herb that has been around for a long time. Uh, it was a herb that I learnt about when I was studying herbal medicine. Um, like many of the herbs that work so well, um, it is less known today than it should be and there are reasons for that. But the, the herb is called buku, B-U-C-H-U. Now, buku is an intriguing herb. It's, right. it's a South African herb, and yeah. um, it contains what's called an essential oil or an aromatic oil. Uh, right. it, it smells, in fact, a little bit like peppermint. It's a pleasant tea to take. But the aromatic oil in it has some remarkable 
antiseptic effects or perhaps even mild antibiotic effects, more likely to be uh, antiseptic effects if we want to use that term in a broad way. Now, what this means is when buku is taken as a herbal tea, yes, oh. as a simple herbal tea, I've said on this program on numerous occasions, uh, herbs can work as, just as well as a tea form than they can in more sophisticated and expensive forms. Now, buku tea... Simply made up by taking, say, a teaspoonful of the of the dried leaves, crushed, put into a coffee cup, pour on boiling water, let it stand until it's cool, then mm -hmm. drink two to three cups of that per day, and I would be most surprised if there wasn't uh, nearly some immediate improvement in the symptoms of cystitis. Now, yeah. w when you reinforce that with a concentrate of cranberry. I mean, a concentrate. I'm, I'm not that enthusiastic about uh, cranberry juice. Um, it's a pleasant juice, but from a, from a medicinal perspective, I believe you're much better off uh, going to your uh, health food store, pharmacy, or to a therapist up there um, and getting hold of a cranberry concentrate to take in conjunction with the buku. Now, cranberry has a well-known uh, way of acting on the urinary tract, whereas buku uh, works against infection by setting up, if you like, a cleansing or antiseptic effect. That's when it's passed across the urinary membrane, it, it, mm -hmm. um, it, it antiseptizes. And I'm being broad and perhaps crude in my medical language here, but when you use the, uh, the, uh, the cranberry, what it actually does is set up an environment on the membrane which is antagonistic to bacterial infection. So you have two ways of addressing recurring or chronic infection that will not, as far as I'm concerned, um, interact with any antibiotic that your doctor or urologist may have prescribed. And I would, I would be surprised if eventually that did not lead to a situation where you had remission and perhaps uh, not needing to use antibiotic therapy as much. Great, great. Oh, that's very good advice. Thank you very much. Okay, thank, thank you. Thank you, Gail. 49216216 yeah, yeah. for your yeah. questions yeah. or comments. Yeah. And Mavis has rung in from Maryville with a comment. She's not on the line, but she's saying, yeah, it's um, it's funny, but you may not be aware that, not used personally, but people may not be aware that there is caffeine in many other products, not just cafe, not just coffee. That's correct. But also tea, for example. I that's suppose correct. that's black tea. That's correct. There are, there are lots of herbs, and remember, tea is a herb. It's based on a, a camellia, um, and they do contain levels of caffeine. A curana is a South American uh, herb which is put into uh, popular energy drinks. Coffee, however, has not just got caffeine in it. Coffee has other constituents. It has, for instance, theobromine, which is another uh, substance similar to caffeine and we have to be cautious that we don't uh, equate herbs that may have one or so similar constituents to another herb uh, with the properties that the main herb has. So this lady is correct in saying that many other drinks contain 
uh, caffeine. But remember, we're talking about coffee, which does contain caffeine and which is a very significant contributor to the claims of resisting dementia and Alzheimer's. But I could talk all morning about the other chemicals in coffee that go hand in hand with the caffeine to give it a distinctive effect that may not be shared by other substances that just contain caffeine. Ah. I hope that's cleared it up for the lady. It's good, Mavis, that you've actually uh, picked up on the fact that caffeine is found in in other substances and, and in fact, other herbs contain it. But remember, coffee, the most universally taken um, drink, if, if you like, in the world, is not just a caffeine drink. It contains other constituents which give it, if you like, a unique action. How coffee actually can do more for us than, than we think. Of course. And look, it was, it was demonised. When I first started um, studying natural medicine, um, it was virtually considered to be a toxin. And uh, there was some sort of idea that it was uh, contradictory to the premises of natural medicine. I see it more of a reflection of a, a whole Victorian antagonism to a lot of pleasurable drinks. <laughs> I could talk more about that. That's my own viewpoint. People would say, there he goes again. <laughs> but I think it was more of a, an attitude that developed around uh, a very conservative Victorian tea-drinking um, culture, if you like. Um, other cultures haven't shared that. Uh, and, and as a result, now we are, I suspect, a predominant uh, coffee drinking society. And um, I have already uh, expressed my enthusiasm for my regular double shots, which my staff um, ritualistically have on hand um, for me. The lovely group of people they are, love them. But look, uh, coffee should be seen as not just a pleasurable drink, but when used sensibly, and I've suggested, based on the literature and the articles that I'm referring to, three cups of coffee a day is what we're talking about. We're not talking about coffee addiction. We're talking about three cups of coffee a day. But um, the other benefits that flow from coffee are also significant. Uh, People perhaps don't realise that coffee has an effect on the liver and gallbladder, and it's a beneficial effect. And I have literature in front of me, as well as um, in, in my libraries, which confirm that some of the chemical constituents in coffee actually work against things like cirrhosis of the liver. Chronic diseases of the liver can be assisted uh, medicinally, in fact, by a regular daily experience of drinking coffee. I could talk about it for the cynics out there from a more medical perspective, from a more phytochemical perspective, but it is suggested that the long-term regular daily use of coffee could be one of the most beneficial things for helping liver health. The other thing about it is it's a remarkable, a remarkable daily substance for assisting gallbladder function. Mm. Now, in in natural medicine, Jane, we talk about a condition called uh, biliary congestion and we talk about the gallbladder becoming static or stagnant. Uh, And in natural medicine, we believe that it's important to use substances that encourage the gallbladder to contract and excrete bile as a measure of maintaining gastrointestinal health. We argue that a good functioning biliary system and a good functioning, uh, and that incorporates 
a good functioning gallbladder um, is pretty well important for lessening conditions like gallstones and even the build-up of cholesterol. Now, interestingly, coffee, the coffee bean, is known as a choleretic and a cholagogic substance. Choleretic means that it addresses the liver and promotes the liver's secretory activity. Cholagogic means that it challenges the gallbladder and encourages it to excrete bile. Those two principles are very important because taken on board, they can overcome a lot of the conditions that are associated with constipation, um, sluggishness, uh, bloatedness, feeling full after meals, unusually full. All this, we say, in natural medicine could come from a level of dysfunction in the secretory action, particularly of the gallbladder. So people who want to maintain a good, healthy gallbladder, one of the foods, one of the foods, one of the substances that could be seen to be useful here is the regular daily use of good quality coffee. Two other reasons why coffee should be seen as a food or a beverage taken in our diet like many other herbal teas and supplements we use. Mm, and self-help, of course, is one of the things that and look, uh, you we, do. We, ha we have been um, preaching this message on this program for so long, the idea that simple changes in our lifestyle or diet can make sometimes very, very significant uh, good changes in our health profile. An interesting thing also about coffee, and this might quite surprise many people, is that coffee contains uh, what might be referred to as dilatory substances. Coffee tends to work on the, on the blood vessels by promoting improved blood flow, but equally importantly, and perhaps more importantly, coffee is remarkable in its ability to assist people that suffer bronchial conditions, particularly asthmatic conditions. Some listeners might have, have even used uh, medication, things like Theodore, uh, Theodure. That is based on one of the constituents of coffee, theophylline, and that is a well-known agent to address some aspects of asthma. Now, am I saying that coffee is a cure for asthma? No, don't be silly. What I'm saying is, however that the regular daily use of coffee, another one of its spin-off benefits, could be that it assists the airways to be remaining a little bit freer, a little bit more dilated, and perhaps even contribute to better breathing. So don't overlook the possibility there also of experiencing some bronchial benefits from the daily use. You've got a, a question about coffee enemas, Nikki. Hello, Nikki. Ah. We've lost Nikki. What a pity. <laughs> okay. In that case, we will go to Matthew, who's rung in from a similar part of the world. Matthew from Anna Bay. And, um, yeah, you've got a question about the negative effects of coffee. Yeah, g'day, Dennis. I was just uh, Hello, wondering Matthew. the negative... Um, I was just wondering the negative effects of uh, coffee in terms of, you know, like side effects such as uh, headache, anxiety, okay. regular heartbeats and stuff like that on a day-to-day -day sure. basis of consuming. Sure. Look, there is such a thing as caffeinism and that's the term that's used to uh, describe the uh, adverse effects that can be associated with the over-ingestion of caffeine-based substances. 
It's very unlikely, in my opinion, to occur in the sensible drinking of things such as coffee. I would be more concerned about uh, the way in which, uh, say, some energy drinks with very high levels of caffeine um, could be overindulged in, at which point I concede there could be some uh, symptoms of, uh, of the heart racing, uh, anxiety states, etc. I have never seen those, but caffeinism is is a, a documented uh, condition, if you like, associated with the abuse of caffeine or the ingestion of too much caffeine. I think, and I, I reiterate this, I think it would be most unlikely to occur in the context of what we've been talking about, the sensible, regular, daily use of, say, three cups of coffee. Great. So basically what you're saying is you're not suggesting polka Red Bulls as an alternative to uh, cappuccinos. No. I think there's a big difference. Um, coffee, coffee is coffee. And as I said earlier, um, it c- contains other constituents that allow it to have benefits in other physiological processes of the body. We spoke a moment ago about the way in which coffee could also be useful for liver and gallbladder function. Now, that depends on other substances that are found in the coffee bean that aren't just, if you like, isolated caffeine. I hope Great. That Thanks so much, Dennis. I hope that Pleasure, Matthew. doesn't um, disappoint you, Matthew. Now, Nikki has uh, popped back up again. And, Nikki, coffee enemas, your question. Oh, thank you. Um, yes, my naturopath is recommending coffee enemas. She's doing a bit more research, and I'm not too sure which of my ailments she's trying to address with it, but I really would appreciate some input on your behalf in regards to coffee enemas. Um, look, coffee enemas have been used in some naturopathic circles. It was a popular technique used... Uh, in the United States by one, um, how can I call it, one cancer practitioner. Um, And there is some basis for saying that it promotes what naturopathic practitioners would call liver drainage. Uh, The idea would be that if you were to use something like this, it would promote the process of detoxification of the liver and the large bowel. Um, I'm always reserved about uh, this technique because um, any any invasive or intrusive technique needs to be done very, very carefully and enemas are a procedure that are frequently carried out in a medical environment and I have no problem with that and I have no problem with other qualified people, um, even your naturopath if she's qualified doing it. Um, I would see what she probably is attempting to do is to carry out a very traditional naturopathic detoxification process. What what I prefer to use in the context of a detoxification process is to uh, carry out what might be referred to as short fasts, that is, periodically, uh, say, one to two days, uh, going without food and just drinking a lot of fluids... Uh, carrying out for perhaps a, a few more days on a fairly restricted um, fresh fruit, vegetable diet. I tend to think they are more, uh, how can I call it, easier ways to promote a, a deburdening of the body. Um, yeah, that's about all that I can say. It's an older technique. 
not practised that much these days in naturopathic circles. Uh, very popularly used uh, in therapy in the United States years ago. Um, I'm not a fan of it. Thank you. I really appreciate your opinion. Thank uh, you. We have a mutual friend, Rob Santich. I know Rob. I, I trained Rob. I he's, know you he, did. He studied, <laughs> he studied under, in Southern Cross Herbal School. He's a great herbalist. He's a yeah, great herbalist. We go back a long way. How about that? Margaret's rung in from Floraville. Margaret, you've got a question about shingles. Yes, I'd just like to know. I'm in my fifth week of it. Oh, dear, dear, dear. Still very painful, Margaret. Very. Where, where did your shingles affect you, Margaret? It's on the left-hand side of my face. On your face, okay. Yes, and okay. it went right into my eye as oh, well. Dear, dear, dear. Well, Actually, that's a... the doctor said I had a really bad case of it. Yes. The worst case he's seen for a long while. Dear, dear. Did you, uh, did you, get, did you get onto it quickly, Margaret? Oh, apparently not quick enough. I thought it was my teeth. Yes, I started yes. to get swollen face on the Sunday, and oh, on the Wednesday dear, dear. I went to the dentist and I said, Margaret, we think you've got shingles. So I went straight to my doctor. Yes. She put me on Lyrica, and oh. she gave me these other pain, other things for, like, I think it's for herpes virus or something. Yes, that's right. But by Friday, I was a mess. Okay. I had the... And then... I've been back to her five times. Oh, dear. Um, but it's um, really bad, is, the pain. Is, is it starting to, to ease a little bit for you? Well, there's the sores and that are gone, but Good. it's still really red and it's still puffy and it hurts to touch the left-hand side of my face and my eyes still sore. Yes, OK. And I've still got needles, like pin, right, needles down through my top lip and everything. Yes. Look... To be, to be honest with you, this when it's at this stage, there's not a lot that can be done. The condition will tend to burn itself out. In most cases, it does. But I'll give you one or two little things to, to try. I make no great claims for them, but yes. it, it might hasten the resolution of the problem. Um, it might hasten. It, it might, might improve it. It might speed up. The, the the resolution of it. Um, and how do you spell that, Dennis? No, look, no, 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 I'm just saying the preparation may encourage the condition to become easier for you. So what you need to do is go to your pharmacy um, mm -hmm. and get hold of a preparation that I frequently refer to known as Astragalus 8. Astrogalus eight, eight, is it? Yeah, and the pharmacist mm -hmm. would know that. Now, that is not a painkiller, but what it does is help the body uh, resolve these virally-based conditions more effectively. So mm -hmm. it's, uh, I recommend it very, very frequently. Uh, topically, um, you're in, a, in, a, in a, a, a bad position here because there is a substance that can... Uh, ease shingles pain and, and that's a product called Zostrix but yours is uh, in a crucial location that is on your face and round your eye and in that situation it would not be appropriate certainly not without your doctor um, giving you the nod or monitoring it for you but if it was anywhere else in the body I would say give Zostrix a go because it has a good reputation for treating what's called post-hepatic neuralgia um, as far as, now th this is, um, I'll, I'll throw this in, 
in what's called homeopathic medicine, and I'll not give you a lecture on that, but it is a system of medicine that is used by many practitioners, some even medical. In, in homeopathic medicine, there is a preparation called hypericum, H-Y-P-E-R-I-C-U-M, hypericum, yes. and it has a 6X beside it. Mm-hmm. Now, that is called up in the homeopathic literature as being yes. particularly useful for the discomfort or pain of shingles. Now, mm-hmm. your, your pharmacy um, would be able, I'm sure, to procure that product for you. It's not a common product. If you have difficulty getting it, you can always contact my rooms and we'll yes. seek to get it to you. Yes. Okay, Dennis. Yeah, so, no, see how you go. I didn't know what shingles were. I heard about oh, it, but dear. my God, oh, <laughs> my doctor even got the other doctor out of the surgery to look at it oh, just because it was that bad. It must have been a pretty strong case. Well, yes, let's hope mm. you get some relief from that, Margaret. And Peter has rung in from Ties Hill about low-salt products. Peter? Oh, good afternoon. Hello, Dennis, Peter. I, I was just wanting to know why... Um, I've been looking into for um, recommended by the doctor to cut out on salt. And when I look at products in the shops with stated low salt, they have added potassium. Why is that? What your doctor was uh, saying was that he would prefer it if you went off uh, sodium chloride, which is commonly known as salt. But there there are many salts including potassium salts, magnesium salts. But I suspect your doctor was talking about what we call common salt, which is sodium chloride. Do you have blood pressure? Um, No, I don't. It's actually for my husband who's diabetic. Okay, diabetic. Mm. Uh, From a blood test, was your husband's uh, sodium level elevated? Well, it must have been, I'm assuming. I don't know. The doctor told him to cut out salt. Salt. Okay. Uh, without knowing your husband's case, uh, I couldn't con- t- um, comment much more on that. But um, salt is sometimes recommended to be curtailed uh, where people have high blood pressure. Uh, salt is considered to be something that could complicate it, although there's a bit of debate about that. And some- oh. sometimes if the sodium level is too high in a blood test, there might be some recommendation uh, to look at that, but um, outside of that, it's pretty difficult to entirely uh, cut out salt. And in fact, the, the body needs salt to a degree. I think what you should do is ring your GP and say, "Hey, listen, I'm a bit confused. Uh, why do you? Uh, why do we need to do this? And um, are you talking about common salt, sodium chloride?" Mm, but when they reduce the sodium. Why do they then put potassium into it? Uh, we, we can go into a discussion here about salts. There, there is an argument that uh, potassium salts can have the same sort of flavour as sodium salts. Ah, that makes sense, okay. doesn't it, Dennis? <laughs> Look, thanks very much for your call, Peter. And um, we're coming to the end of Health Naturally. Just one final question Dennis, Jenny from Singleton rang in to see about the availability of Buhu tea. Is okay. it readily available? Look, um, Jenny, it's not readily available. If you um, 
ring my rooms at New Lambton. I'll tell you a number of locations where you can get it. It's better to do that than mention names on the program, but ring my rooms and we'll give you a number of locations. And all the best with all your problems. That's Health Naturally for today. Thank you, Dennis Stewart. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.